listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. The topic I have been wrestling with today um, although not, not wrestling too hard, uh, is, this, is this idea of clarity. So it was so interesting that Dudley even brought that up, this idea of clarity. What is it that, uh, what is it that this practice does, typically? Um, the answer to that question, what is it that this pra- practice does, is so varied and so different for each of us. Um, and what do I mean by this practice? Well, what does it mean to be living fully? What does it mean to live consciously? What does it mean to be open as opposed to being closed? Uh, All of these questions can help guide us uh, and provide a certain directionality. They can provide us with an opportunity to create, you know, an intention and then let that intention unfold into something that is uh, beyond concrete. Okay, beyond the mind. Now, we've gone through this a great deal, and I know this sounds like really ethereal and so forth, but it's, uh, it's uh, among the most important things as we, as we, look, at our, as we look at this process. Um, and I've, I've drawn this, I think almost every single time I've spoken to this group, I've drawn this graphic, so forgive if you're getting bored, but we start, we start with this. We start with the eye. We then at some point realize that there is a, uh, an I plus a you, or a me plus a you. And then what happens is we get into this place where it's all of us. Yeah? Everybody sees that, I'm, I'm sure. Get this. It's, it's I or me, me plus you, then all of us. And then we get into this place. We get to this place of spirit, which is no one. And it's not no one. Okay? Now, what does that rattle? That rattles this, that wants to know. This is the mind. This is the ego. This is the eye sense. Okay? And this eye sense is very sure of things. In fact, it spends its time being sure. Okay? I know. And it, it'll stop right there. It doesn't have to say, I know something. It just, I know. I know this to be true. And what it does is it conflates and confuses truth with knowledge. Okay? And as we all know, knowledge is basically just history or his story, or her story, her story or history. That's what knowledge is, all right? So kind of pulling ourselves out of this is really tough for the eye sense because the eye sense says, that, that's a crock, man. I, there is no way. There's no way that, because I want to know what this is. I want to understand it. I want to compartmentalize it, okay? I want to be able to grasp it. And that move right there, that grasping, is the beginning of suffering. Or we could say it's the beginning of war. Okay? So what does that, you know, where does this leave us? Okay? You know, we've got this eye sense 
or this me. Okay, we've got this me plus you or this I plus you. We've got all these things here. Where does this leave us? How do we ever get to a space where we can simultaneously recognize the power of, uh, you know, all, all these different levels of development, yet at the same time we can dance as spirit in the world? And that's the clarity that we, we tend to lose sight of in spiritual practice. Oftentimes, uh, I, I can't tell you how many... How many people I've seen on the path, uh, you know, and myself included, I, 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 when I was, you know, starting out in this process and I really began to get quite serious about it, I started to really, really turn this into an intellectual and then a physical, uh, you know, practice that spirit was going to reveal itself to me uh, through some, something in my mind and, or in my body. And... To a degree, that's true. I mean, this is where it's all going to happen. It's all going to happen in this body. It's not going to happen somewhere else. But at the same time, when we get these glimpses, okay, or we get this felt sense of something that goes way beyond the body, or this felt sense of something that goes way beyond intellectual understanding, where do we put it? And that's exactly what this wants to do. The I sense or the me wants to put it somewhere so it can turn it into a story. So that it can say, I am awake. Or it can say, I am enlightened. Or I am spiritual. Or I am a democrat. I am whatever. It creates literally a tribal contraction around this experience if it falls back in. Okay? And my argument, uh, or at least what I, what I talk about in the book, Awaken This Life is that our, our, our job is to allow for all this stuff to kind of unfold on this journey. And once again, here's a very familiar graphic to a lot of people. We tend to climb up this mountain. And through all the reading that we've done and all the work that we've done, there's this, there's this sense that that's the goal, right? And unfortunately... For the, those climbing the mountain of spirit, whether you're Christian, you're Hindu, Muslim, Jew, Buddhist, whatever, that's halfway. Okay? That the real work happens here. That's where we bring it home. And that's how we can still have a job and bring this awakened consciousness into the job. And then this puts us right back here. And we do it again. In every moment. So the, pardon me? Sisyphus? Sisyphus only if there's attachment. If there's no attachment, there's no boulder to roll. It's just a continual sense of being. Okay? Now this is quite, the climb initially is quite Sisyphusian. That may be a new word. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, it's been coined here. Remember that. It's Sisyphusian, yes, to roll this boulder up, up, this, uh, up, this, up this deal, except what happens is the higher the altitude, the, the less dense the boulder becomes. You can't take the boulder to the top. You have to let it go. You have to. Boulders, in a Sisyphusian sense, damn, I love that word. Okay. Thank you, Ditto. Thank you very much, Ditto. In, in a, you know, as, as, far as, as far as rolling that boulder... As far as rolling that boulder goes, um, that is precisely your creation. 
Nobody gave you a boulder. Okay? You created a boulder and you're carrying it with you and you keep carrying it and then you get to the point and this is this is actually quite sad and quite funny in some in some respects usually people will get to a place where they they're getting close they're getting really close and then it's just too damn heavy forget it but the problem is the higher you get the greater the recognition of what we could call, you know, this this uh, this this pinnacle experience. The the closer we get to this recognition of some truth beyond name, beyond form, beyond mind, beyond body, which means that we are pretty conscious. Yet we're going back deeply down down the mountain into that which is totally unconscious, and that is so uncomfortable. And it's usually at that point that people either get serious or they slowly start to die. Um, and that the death that I'm speaking of is not the, you know, the awakened death. It's this death of depression. It's this death of negativity. It's a life that becomes filled with resistance. And it's characterized usually by an I'm right, you're wrong. That's usually how the center of gravity at that, at that place, especially somebody who's gone up, they know enough, and then it's like, yeah, no, that's too much. You're asking me to let go of everything. Yes. Yes. And that's actually the work. And so I'll, I'll, I'll read a piece from some guy who wrote this book. Um, on most days I like him. I like his work, like his prose. Uh, I missed it. Let me just keep flipping through. Um, it's in here somewhere. Here we go. A practitioner at a retreat that I was leading challenged me to simplify awakening into as few words as possible. Amazing, I thought to myself. We are always looking for ways to speed up the process. Of course, I was including myself in this commentary since I had asked basically the same question of my teacher some years earlier. The response that my teacher gave me was immediate. Let go, he smiled. That's it, let go. Just let go. I didn't really know what to make of his answer. It sounded pretty silly at the same time. I, excuse me, it, it sounded pretty silly at the time, a way of avoiding responsibility and a path to becoming something more like a couch potato than an awakened being. Still, I trusted something about him, so I just let his comment marinate my brain, hoping against hope that his words might cause something, something to shift. I decided to offer the same response to this inquis inquisitive person on our retreat, but I embellished it a little. Let go, and then step into the world informed by this deep release, I said. Letting go of our attachments and acting from a place of spontaneous clarity and spaciousness is the activity of all awakened beings. This simple yet revolutionary routine means that in order to stop our suffering, all we need to do is practice the intentional moment-by-moment -moment releasing of everything. This lets us take, take in the view from the summit of the mountain of spirit. It reveals our core essence as being that which is beyond time, beyond feelings, and beyond thought. We are none of these things. Rather, we are the awakened space that infuses, sources, and informs them. This awakened space in the middle of everything arises as one identical knowing, with a capital K, that each of us shares with every other being just as we are all equally inseparable from infinity. This is the letting go. And I once, um, 
I once kidded with one of your members. I, I don't want to mention his name because I, I don't want to embarrass him, but uh, Larry uh, asked me. <laughs> I, I, I had made the point that this work of you know, uncovering this space that is there, he, he, uh, he asked me, so how long did it take? Or how long does it take, I guess. Was, and I said, well, you know, the, the Zen, the Zen uh, uh, formula for this is 10,000 hours. And uh, Larry, bless his heart, rolled his eyes and was, uh, you know, I said, well, is there any way we can do it you know, in less than 10,000 hours? And, and the a- actual answer, I, I chided him. I said, no, you've got to do that. You don't sit down at the piano and play Rachmaninoff's third. Con- you, you just don't do that without practice. Um, you missed the question. Ah, I did. Yes. Help me, sir. The question was that there, you can't say 10,000 hours. You had, a, you had a definitive answer to that. I don't think that's possible. Which was what? What was my definitive answer? 10,000 hours. Right. That's totally wrong. Well, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, it might be right for you. But no, no, no. I'm, I'm, to- I'm totally agreeing with you. <laughs> okay. Well, you can't do that. Oh, okay. So. Zen master. Yes. Here's, so here's what we run into then. Here's what we run into. It doesn't take 10,000 hours. It takes practice. Okay. And it, will, it won't happen after 10,000 hours. It will only happen in the now, whenever that is. It'll be a divine disastrous grace that will be thrown into your experience. Uh, but it will never happen as long as it is my way. Okay? As long as it's my way. This is my journey. This is my, as long as the my is there, we are brutally forced back down the mountain and into... This space. Now, awakening or opening or whatever you want to call it is still available to us, but there's a tremendous amount of. Um, I guess. I guess I would say that this has more mass to look at it in uh, terms of physics. There's more mass here. The center of gravity. It's much. It's much denser. Okay. And in this density, it's very, very difficult to then kind of lift ourselves back up into this place. And what happens is. We become, I mean, we can look at awakening. In Zen, we say awakening means, essentially, or awakening is this uh, horrific and beautiful accident. And the more we let go, the more accident-prone we become. Okay? So when we're in a situation where, well, this is my path, it's not your path. It's our path. Okay? It's James's path. All right, it's everyone's path. Yeah, that's that's right. That's right. He doesn't want to sit on his path. Doesn't. So, so how is it that we? How is it that that we it kind of uh, to use this this graphic here? You know, how is it that we we begin to dance with spirit in a place that allows us to be, if you will, an individual, recognizing that there is nothing self-oriented about this. How can we be the one and the many all at once? How can I be an individual and at the same time be part of this deep singularity consciously? Okay. Well, the first step really is that letting go. Okay. And in that letting go, the practice of the letting go, what happens is we begin to quite literally open more and more. And more. And in that open oops, wrong side. In that opening, in that opening, 
we begin to see with greater and greater clarity the view that is automatically review, revealed to any of us who has the courage to let go. <laughs> and it's that simple. And what is it that we see, feel, taste, touch? What, what is it? All those senses drop away. Every bit of the me and the mine and the I and the you begins to fall away. The Sisyphusian endeavor <laughs> ends. Okay? It's gone. The stone is no longer there. All that stone is, is mind and body and, listen carefully, soul. Okay? That's really upsetting to lots of people. Well, no way, not my soul. I'll, I'll let go of everything except my If it's my soul, it's no longer present. It's just soul. It's just body. It's just mind. From the perspective of spirit, from the perspective of emptiness, it's just another thing that arises in consciousness. And we dance with it. We don't negate it. We just dance with it. Which is exactly why I think most of us will find those that we've come in contact with that are truly resonating with some type of awakened presence, they, they, they really, they shake us. And it's that they're not, they're not caught. They're just not caught. They don't, they don't, it's, and it's not that nothing matters. It's that everything matters. Okay? Everything matters so much that you can't get caught by it. Okay? There's no more war. There's no more division. I was listening to, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, Mother Teresa. I think she was really pretty, pretty amazing. I'm becoming increasingly more of a fan of her as I, as, I, as I read more about her and more of what she said and so forth, especially as she really looked at tradition and really, really centered much of her later years on questioning her faith. All right? Uh, where did she go with this? Well, there was nothing about this woman that was divided she didn't see the world as an us versus them at all. She didn't see, she didn't go, she was never in this space of how can those bastards not, not raise money and help me out. It was all about giving. Giving. And when she came, she came to this recognition that no matter what, there's more to give. It's an endless supply. She was coming at life. Gandhi was coming at life. All the great contemporary and ancient sages were coming at life from a place of total and radical abundance. And it had nothing to do with their intellects. It had nothing to do with their bodies. It had nothing to do with their soul. It had everything to do with the fact that they were plugged into something much deeper and much bigger. I, I speak about this in the book. Uh, it, it comes, it's in, in, in that sense, they were operating from huge egos. Okay? Now let me be clear on that. Huge egos meaning they were coming from spirit. What is the ego? The ego is the eye sense. And for those of you who are keeping score at home, you know Freud never once used the word ego. I'm, I'm gathering. He never said ego. He never said id. He never said super ego. In, in German, basically what he was saying was the, the ego, or he called it das ich, the I. Instead of the id, he called it das s, the it. Okay? And the das Uber-Ich, the over, the over-self, the conscience. 
it was translated by a gentleman uh, bringing it over into the United States in the early 20th century, and this would give it more uh, intellectual heft, more gravitas if it, was, if it had some Latin phraseology in it. So uh, I, just thought, I just thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> Still, what happens here is this. The, the ego, or the I, we have a small I, right, that always feels like it's at war. And it might be a low-grade war, or it might be a high-pitched battle. Okay, uh, And then you have the big self, the big I, the one that we all share. Consciously or unconsciously, we all share it. And that we could call the, 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 the big ego. All right? just, for, just for this talk. Please forget everything I just said, actually. That would probably be more helpful. But uh, uh, it just becomes very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. And actually a model for us to kind of, you know, begin to begin to occupy. The true value of a human being can be found in the degree to which he has gained liberation from the self. If you are communicating from a place of observation, okay, you are not communicating from a place of contraction. Okay? The minute the I and the personal pronoun me are extricated from the, the language, which is so bizarre, and I, I, it was so fun listening to you crack each other up. <laughs> uh, good. <laughs> Suddenly, everybody's speaking in you know, Cro-Magnon kind of, you know. <laughs> but I think what, what we recognize here, very, very simply, is that our center of gravity is here all the time. Okay? We're bound by this small sense of who we think we are. Who we are is nothing other than past decorations thrown against the mask of a personality we think is us. Okay? There's so much more. There's so much more. And that means at some point, we all have to let go of the mask. We all have to let go of these stories we've written that we believe define us. Okay? And to the extent that we can do that to a greater and greater degree with practice, at least 10,000 hours, Larry, at least 10,000 hours of practice, 10,001 maybe, yeah, uh, we fall into awakening. We fall awake, just like we would fall asleep. Okay, And what we also fall out of is the automatic tendency for non-clarity. And non-clarity shows up continually as this thing we call fundamentalism. Okay? And we can become fundamentalist about this teaching. We can become fundamentalist. There's such a thing as fundamentalist Buddhists. You may have remembered the, uh, the Aum cult in uh, Tokyo. They decided to gas the subways. Okay? Fundamentalism exists there. It exists in Christianity. I don't know if any of you have seen the uh, recent A&E documentary called Jesus Camp. Uh, I watched it last night. Uh, absolutely fascinating. Fascinating. Because it is basically a Midwestern American madras for Christ. The madrasas of Pakistan. You know, what are they doing? What we're teaching, what we're doing is we're creating a, a certain fundamentalist uh, flair that ignites. And that fundamentalism can show up anytime there is anti-anything. <laughs> Think about that. 
Now, I, I know I'm probably going to upset lots of people in here, but the minute a gathering goes negative, it goes into resistance. And the minute something goes into resistance, it goes into contraction. And the minute it goes into contraction, it's war. So the war on terror actually exacerbates terror. Okay? If you're going to an anti-war rally, you are creating war. Okay? So this then, I want to kind of end with this, end with this, this thing for each of us to consider very, very, you know, at, at, a, at a core level. What is it in us that goes fundamental? In each of us, where do we where do we find, you know, and and uh, uh, you know, kind of um, where do we rest? That's fundamental. Okay. Fundamentalism arises when any religious organization or any person attaches so intensely to some version of truth that it must be defended. In this space, the ego continually seeks security by playing out its drama of attack and defend. This drama offers all sorts of teachers and practitioners an opportunity to commit to various forms of separation where an attitude of we are right, they are wrong, not only rules, but begets more attachment. This space can sow seeds of terrible violence, all in the name of the collective egoic version of what it deems sacred. So the... Uh, the encouragement that um, I would like to just throw in your laps here is that there is this teaching really can be defined uh, as space, <laughs> as the uncovering of the space that's all, always already there, and it's it's a, that's deeply ensconced in the Christian tradition, and in the Buddhist tradition, and in the Islamic faith, <coughs> Islamic tradition. Okay. Hindu, every bit of it actually kind of points us in this direction. But we're not always able to uncover it because we get so busy. So practice the stillness. The stillness is also saying, if when I say practicing stillness, it's the same thing as saying practicing letting go. You don't have to have a meditation cushion to do that. Okay? Watch your thoughts. Watch your feelings. And let that watcher guide you in this process. Okay? As I think about letting go and my practice of letting go, one of the challenges I run into is my mind's desire to know that it's going to be okay, that it's going to work out. And it's, it's strategic machinations, if you will, to make sure it's going to be okay. Yeah. So this, I see, stops me from a practice of letting go um, and just letting, letting that be and having that, I can see, is part of it. Um, but I think that's the biggest challenge that I have, is this fear of the unknown. And, and no matter how many times I've let go and it's turned out perfect and amazing, and every time it seems to be bigger risk. Right. It just keeps getting bigger. So right. any comments or thoughts on that? Sure. Of letting go and the biggest kind of, what I see is the... Yeah. The thing that stops me the most. Right. The thing that stops any of us the most is wanting to be okay. It's, it's really true. I mean, we, we want to, essentially, that's another way of translating that is we want to survive. Yes. We want there to be permanence. We want there to be stability. Right. We want there to be a ground that we can stand on. Actually, we call that understanding. <laughs> right? Which is all mind. Right. So, 
And I, I will just straight out, this is probably going to upset you, but, uh, but know that I love you anyway. Uh, <laughs> if, if, if you're engaging in this practice to feel good, get out now. This is not about feeling good. This is not about feeling safe. This is, not about, this is about developing a different re- relationship with the threat of chaos. Okay? Now, oddly enough, Roger, what happens is <laughs> we start recognizing, oh my God, I can't hang on to anything. There's no such thing as safety. No matter how smart my financial counselor is. <laughs> Right? There's, n- there's no such thing. And so what we do then is instead, and we, we begin to, oddly enough, trust in this, or I hate to use this word, but we have faith in the fact that the universe will give us exactly what we need, always. It will not give us necessarily what our ego wants. And that's how practice is forced upon us. <laughs> right? So, again, this is, not about, this is not about being able to manage the chaos, keep a lid on it, so to speak. Instead, this is about being able to dance with it. Turning, turning the chaos, turning the threats, turning the fear, turning all of this into something that we can make friends with. Yeah. Could I say trusting, learning to trust serendipity? Sure. Yeah. For me. Sure. For whom? For whom? <laughs> for whom? For whom? For you? Uh, Who's that? It Tell- works for me as I allow it to happen. Right. And as long as that I and me are there, you're, you're, you're still going to be turning it into something else. Probably so. Right. Right. <laughs> I agree. All, all kidding aside, though. I agree. You- <laughs> Isn't it? You're right. Is it? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yes, it is. It's fascinating. It's fa- this is this is you know, and and Dogen uh, said that the uh, to study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be enlightened by all things. Okay, and instead, what Westerners especially, this is, and I can only say that anecdotally. I mean, my experience in you know foreign countries studying this stuff has has been that Westerners are particularly good at this one. And that is confusing and conflating the idea that I'm going to get something for me, you know? And that, that is the thickest veil to awakening that exists. That is the disease. Is that, you know? And so, so you, want, you want a way out of this one real quick? I'll, show, I'll just show you a path. You don't have to take it, but I'll show you the path. It's less than 10,000. Yeah, it's much less than 10,000. We need a quick fix. You want a quick fix. Exactly. That's what this is all about. Right. The quick fixes. Right. Right. Because it's so broken. The universe, broken. You know? It doesn't have any kind of divine plan. Essentially, my recommendation would be this. Watch your me. Watch your I. That which is watching the eye is not the eye. It is awakened mind. And that's the mind that we also call no mind. That in you that sees the me, that sees the grasp, that sees the eye, that sees all that stuff, that which can go, ah, (laughs) wow, that's free. It's open and it's always giggling. 
Okay. Hydropopic or hydro. It's this hypnopompic or hypnagogic state. Yeah. Like when you're going to sleep, the hypnagogic state, it's kind of that, ah, okay. But the minute you recognize the hypnagogic state, that which is recognizing the hypnagogic state is fully awake. Right. right? But it maybe can learn. Actually, it's beyond the learning. The learning, the learning, the learning is what happens within. Yes. That witnessing awareness, right? Somebody back there agreed. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Something nameless. Yeah. So, so the shortcut or the quick fix, as we were kind of talking about, is this ability to have tremendous presence, tremendous awareness of exactly what is, not what we want to be. Okay. What is? You know that the kind of consciousness, that kind of. That kind of awareness. And this carries through, right, in through illness, you know, carries, carries through uh, no matter what, what disaster befalls, okay? It's having this, there's a certain steadiness that kind of unfolds that allows each of these, you know, the hooks of the world that usually pull us to suddenly the barbs straighten and they slip out. doesn't mean that they don't hurt, but they don't carry us in any direction. Most importantly, they don't try to divide, to divide us and our fundamentalism falls in that moment. Yeah. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Anybody else? Well, is that also called the observer sometimes? Sure. Yeah. yeah. And I, I want to say one thing I really make clear in your book for me is <clears throat> the relationship to all things change. And I liked your, you know, chop wood, carry water. Yeah. I can never figure out what, and it's the relationship to that. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse yeah, th me. No, that's... Really. It, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I think that was the major... Um, the uh, one of the, the, the biggest, most uh, profound moments for me on my path was, uh, and I, I write about this a little bit, um, I was in the middle of a sashin, which is a seven-day meditation retreat where you do little more than sit and walk, uh, walking meditation, eating, you're even on your cushion when you're eating, and then you'll have an hour here to you know, just stretch out a little bit, but then you're right back on the cushion, and then you're exhausted by 9 p.m., even though all day you've been sitting. Um, uh, it was about day three when I was going through uh, f enough physical pain, I thought I might pass out. And my body has always been something that's worked pretty well, so it was quite a shock to, to find that, okay, my knee is in pain, blinding pain, my back is in pain, the space between my shoulder blades, I think it's, it's as if someone has taken a poker and jam, I mean, just, I was in just unbelievable pain. And um, I went and spoke to my, my teacher about this, and he said, he said uh, yeah, those are just thoughts. And then he bowed, which essentially is like kicking me out. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, and I kind of walked back onto my cushion. But on my way back to my cushion, I, it was, it, it, it was if, um, the way I would just kind of describe metaphorically is if somebody took a, a, a large stone and dropped it into just a bucket of water. It was like, oh, this is all mind. And then. It was as if something shifted. The pain was still there, but my relationship to it was totally different. And that's exactly where I think the, the teacher comes into play here. Because what, what she does, or what he does, is just point you in the right direction so that you can uncover all of this stuff. They, they, they're not going to enlighten you. 
No teacher is going to enlighten you. No teaching is going to enlighten you. It's only going to point you in the direction to uncover the space that is already there, which is exactly why we say we're already enlightened. Every one of us already has that ability to kind of look, look at our situation, especially one that we can't get out of, which is exactly why they have these seven-day meditation retreats, and you, you sit in a position that's not comfortable, okay? Which you, you're, the idea is willfully put yourself in a situation where there's no escape, and watch what happens. And we are predicated in, culturally at least, on escape. There's always a way out. We can think ourselves out of this one, you know. It's we are our own James Bond. We, no matter what, no matter what the situation is, we'll figure out how to, you know, you know, do whatever we have to do. We can MacGyver ourselves out of any situation. So put yourself in a situation where you can't do that. And, and this is why I think, I think uh, meditation is so very valuable, or at least having kind of some type of structure um, that you can, you, know, you, can, you can do every once in a while. You can commit yourself to that structure every once in a while and then be more structureless, and it changes the structurelessness of your, of your, uh, your being and your, your community and your group or whatever. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, thank you. I have no idea what time we're supposed to end. Is there? Oh, I'm supposed to end at 11.30. And... Do we want to take another question and then, or people got to go? I think that's... But what we could do is make that very casual. Anybody that has to leave at 11.30 can leave. Yeah. And we'll just drain you. Right, okay, all right, okay. What? Just an observation. Yeah, sure last conversation, I found it very interesting, the situations and the drama that were created at a national, global level, and how, what's the conversation is, how do we escape it? Mm-hmm. How do we fix it? Mm-hmm. How do we make it right again? Right. It's not good. You know? And I think that's the, the gift that perhaps is unfolding for many of us is, no matter how, far how smart your financial advisor is or whatever, there's no escape. Be with it. Be uncomfortable. And then arise above that discomfort into a new space. So I, I think it's divine. There's divine activity. Oh, it's perfect. It's a huge opportunity. That's perfect. Yeah. For many. Yeah, uh, and it's again, it's it, the it's the the tragedy is perfect as well. Yeah. It does not mean that we stop acting, and this is this is where this is uh, I I I think this is where uh, we actually have something to contribute to the way this uh, spirituality unfolds in this next this next millennium, mm-hmm. and that is that the traditions point to this being where we go, okay? And what, uh, I mean, the Mahayana tradition, it says you've got to come down the mountain, you know, very explicitly and so forth, but at the same time, this tends to be where people want to be. They want to be, have you ever seen uh, one of the, the tankas, which has this beautiful, you know, it's got a, a, a deity that's holding the, the wheel of life of dependent co-origination and so forth, and then you look at the Buddha, the Buddha in, in that particular painting is always off of the wheel of samsara to the side, right? Off the wheel, okay? And the way that that has been ingrained in many practitioners' minds is, oh, I want out. I want to feel peace. I want to feel... That wheel of samsara is, is exactly halfway. It's within the Buddha. Our Buddha consciousness or our, our, our being awake or our Christ consciousness or whatever you want to call it, actually tenderly holds the whole mishpuk, the whole disaster within. Okay? The whole thing. 
And it's not that we don't respond. It's that we respond from a place of love, not from a place of anger. Love is undivided. Anger is about, I'm right, you're wrong. Yeah. So, so that means then, what happens in this, uh, what happens in this election, or what happens in this, you know, this financial disaster? They're all opportunities for us to practice this idea. Not so much of. Uh, I want to be really careful here. It's not rising above. It's opening to. And the and the rising above always implies a separate me rising. Ab- Does that make sense? I am now out of this, as opposed to wow. Right. And when that wow opening occurs, that allows for a, an incredibly facile response to whatever is showing up. And, and it's always from a place of compassion, wisdom, love, tenderness, and it can be fierce. Fiercely loving. You know? Sometimes the way the creator gets people's attention is through their pocketbook. Yes. Yes. Especially since you are the creator. That's right. Especially since you think that's your security or whatever. Right. Right. Yes. Wakes you up sometimes. Right. Yeah, that whole idea. The whole idea that the the creator is outside of us. No, the creator is this moment. And you're part of it. There's no God out there. There's no anything out there that is not also equally in here. Therefore, praying to God or making a pact with the devil or you know, whatever, that's the most egotistical thing imaginable because it somehow implies that you are somehow separate from this infinity. Ouch. That's got to hurt. Talk about a stone to roll up the hill. You know? Interesting. So watching our Watching, I think, what you're, what you're alluding to there so nicely is, is this idea of really study the stone. Study the stone that you're rolling up the hill because you don't need it. Whatever pain you have, okay, whatever stories you have that are contributing to negativity or resistance are precisely what you do not need. Okay? And at the same time that you don't need them, they can awaken us. They can awaken us to their beckoning. They're asking to be released. You just have to agree. That's it. And that agreement we call letting go. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about Sunday nights. Oh, the Infinite Smile Sangha actually began as a, uh, a meditation class at the Lafayette Community Center, right down the street here. And it grew pretty quickly into. Uh, kind of a nonprofit organization, and uh, what we do is we have on on Monday nights we meet now up at the Moksha Yoga Shala. It's on our website, infinitesmile.org. It's my shameless plug. And your books are for sale. And my books are for sale. <laughs> um. <laughs> and what we do is we'll always have um, about thirty minutes of sitting. And then we'll have, uh, well, actually, I'll, I'll start with like a little bit of a five-minute intro talk, 30 minutes of sitting, and then we'll have um, a, a, a talk followed by question and answer so that everybody's out by 9. Uh, so from 7.30 to 9 on Monday nights over at the Moksha Yoga Shal. And if you go here, there are, are you can click on uh, our schedule and it shows directions. We're having, 
we had actually a hack into our website. So we are, yeah. And I have no idea how to fix it. So, you know, whoops. <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Some other person. Some, uh, yeah, some other. It was within me, though. So, yeah, yeah. Um, nonetheless, uh, nonetheless, um, from here you can you can you can find out. Uh, uh, we'd love to have you. You know, we'd love to have you. And so whatever level of uh, meditative experience that you've ever had, you are absolutely totally invited. Yeah. Michael, some of us have signed up for your January 11th mm-hmm. workshop at San Damiano. Oh, great. You might want to know about that. Yeah. We'll be uh, with Michael. Yeah, we, we do, we, we do uh, two one-day retreats each year. Um, we're going to start probably doing uh, every two months, we're going to meet at someone's house where we will, we will keep it limited to around uh, 10 people. And uh, then we're also, hopefully within the year, we will have a week-long meditation uh, retreat at some facility somewhere in the area, but we want to start doing that the week-long, week-long deal. That it's really a great way to turn the heat up, and it's always intimidating for people. They go, "Oh no, no, there's no way I can sit that long." You can. It's just incredible, and it's really incredible actually what you uncover in the in the process. You don't do that at Mount uh, Madonna. I'm sorry. Do you do that at Mount Madonna? We do weekend retreats at Mount okay. Madonna twice twice a year, but the uh, five day, I don't think we're we're we're. Uh, we may be able to do it at Mount Madonna. Um, we were also thinking, I, I heard somebody was mentioning Esalen. There's, we, we were thinking of also taking a week, a week there and opening it up to a you know, broader crowd. But uh, yeah, this has been a really marvelous path. I feel like I'm uh, hanging on to the caboose for this thing. This is quite, quite an amazing group of people. Um, and, uh, and yeah, the, the book that was released in, in May, is, it's selling well, which is nice. People um, have been so kind. If you do, uh, actually, you could do our group a huge, huge favor. If you read the book, if there's any way you could get onto the Amazon site and write 10 words of review, unless you hated the book, and then just be quiet. But to, it, it actually, uh, uh, however you feel, it's helpful. The more reviews we get, uh, the higher in standing it goes, and all the money from our book, the proceeds from the book, go to the Infinite Smile Sangha. So, um, uh, love to have uh, love to have your input on it too. If there's something that, that tweaks you or something like that, great. You got an opportunity to talk about it and so forth. Yeah. So, um, I have I, the letting go is I, I don't. Mm-hmm. I can't get a hold of that. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, we're making progress. <laughs> and, um, so, in, in, you know, with regard to all that stuff out there with war and money and all mm-hmm. that, okay, I, I, can, I, can, I can see that I can't let go of that. Mm-hmm. How about relationships? Can you let go of the personal self? Can you let go of the I? Probably not ever. Oh, I bet I, you can't. I, 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 I am really proud of myself when I do. Yeah, yeah. Let, um, uh, it's, when, you, when we say let go of the I, it doesn't mean negate it. It doesn't mean push it away. It means create space around it. Okay? And that which can observe the space around the separate eye sense, okay, is free. Which allows then for a free functioning integration of the self, the I, to then meet another I. And in relationship, what happens then is there is a dance like the tango which involves perfect resistance at the perfect moment so that spin can happen. Otherwise, spin, spin cannot happen, actually, unless there's resistance, right? And what is the universe? Spin. 
So there is this there is this this dance that can occur the moment there is a surrendering of all of your stories. The minute you are in relationship with someone to gain something from them, she will make me happy, he will make me happy, whatever. The minute you are in that space, you're coming at the relationship from a position of lack. So it's it's as if I'll do a relationship hand puppet dance for you and see <laughs> this. It's, it's as if what we do is we are beautiful, open, caring, loving beings. And then what happens is we meet another, okay? And there's some real interesting dance that kind of starts to happen. And at first, there's almost a drunkenness that goes, and then the, that drunkenness becomes something that people will adhere to. You know, it's, I don't want to be away from you, right? Until at one moment somebody decides in the relationship, I need to get some air. And then it oftentimes results in a, a break. And this person can go back to beauty. And this person has suddenly been damaged. And it's looking for someone else. And what it will attract is another one of these. Thus we have dysfunction. Okay. Now, the, the other thing that can happen is another kind of dysfunction is either, you know, hooks into another person with, with all sorts of what we would call baggage, um, or it can actually smother the other person's baggage, okay? They can fix, when in fact what they're doing is they're denying this person's ability to actually open again. So the trick is, are we closed down by the trials and tribulations of relationship, or are we open by them? Just like, are we closed down by war and financial ruin? <laughs> or are we open by it? This is big stuff. Great, great opportunities for us to work, you know, to, for us to uncover, but, but uh, uh, you know, what is true. But again, the, the whole point in relationship, uh, and again, this is, I, I have a section on, on, you know, about this in the book. Relationship comes from surrender. True relationship comes from Surrender. And the very first step is going to be surrendering the stone that you're carrying that relates to relationship. Okay? This idea that I'll never be able to let go of the I. Have you ever been able to see your ego kind of in action? Have you ever had that experience? That, <laughs> that, that in you, which is seeing the ego in action, is free of the I. It's free of the ego. It's observing the ego. It's witnessing the ego. It's presence. It's the seer. Right? Yeah, but I can immediately go to, oh, I am so great because I can see my ego. <laughs> That's ego coming through the back door saying, I'm awake. Yeah, right? Right. <laughs> right? Now, did you notice that? Oh, yeah. You did? That's awake. Oh, okay. Do you understand? I do, but it's Now let go of it. Like failed. <laughs> Yeah, of course, of course. I stepped outside and then I got so proud of being outside that I went... Right, right, because the ego will feel pride. That which is observing the pride doesn't give a damn about pride. Mm -hmm. Or love. Or anything else. It doesn't give a damn. Mm -hmm. neutral. Beautifully neutral. And guess what, guess what the energy is of that neutrality? Unbounded joy. <laughs>